Welcome to the Limitless Mindset Podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Roseland. This podcast will teach you to acquire superhuman mental abilities and hack your reality. One of the most important aspects of being limitless is our communication abilities. So much of our success in different aspects of life depends upon our ability to communicate with other people. In this episode, we're going to be sharing 13 communication life hacks. We're also going to be sharing the one thing that great communicators never say. And in the money-making technique, we will explain how to use Twitter and YouTube to save money or make big companies do what you want them to do. Hey, this is Jonathan and Woody Roseland, and today we're going to be talking about one of my very most favorite subjects, and it's also one of the most essential skills to becoming limitless in any aspect of your life, and that's the skill of communication. Now, interestingly, all throughout high school and even a lot of the ways through college, communication is a skill that our educational system really doesn't focus very much time and energy on, which I think is a shame because communication has so much to do with where we get in our personal relationships and our business relationships. So today we're going to share 13 really cool life hacks for communication. Some of these life hacks are best for, for personal situations. Some of them are best for business situations. And some of them are flexible and can be applied in a really wide variety of, uh, of places. So the first life hack I'd like to talk about as it relates to communication is how to ask people about what they do. So we all find ourselves in situations frequently where we are talking to people at a party or at an event or at some kind of social interaction and we want to find out what people do for work. And it is important to find out what people do for their vocation since that's a really big part of the way that we provide value to other people that we meet. However, there's some ways to do this that come across as very boring and bland and there's also some ways to do this that impart that you have some real uh, communication ability, that you're an interesting, fun person, and that you're someone that they can trust a little bit more. Because there are a lot of people out there that uh, are guarded about what they do for work. So my preference is that when I find myself in a social environment where the purpose of the environment is to be social and is to make friends, as opposed to an environment where the purpose is to do networking and to meet other people for business purposes, what I will do in that social environment is I will use this line. I will say, so how do you spend your time when you aren't blank? And so the blank should be something relevant to the context the environment or something that you know about this person. So I might say, how do you spend your time when you aren't drinking overpriced coffee? For example, if I was chatting with a new friend at Starbucks, or if I was say at a uh, beer tasting event, I would say, so how do you spend your time when you aren't sipping down, when you aren't being a beer snob? I might make a joke about it. Or if there was someone that I was talking to on the internet, I might say, how do you spend your time when you aren't writing fascinating blog posts? Or if I ran into someone who was obviously in very good shape, I'd try to compliment them and I'd say, so how do you spend your time when you aren't at the gym? Or if I was making a little bit of fun of someone in a joking way, I might say, so how do you spend your time when you aren't 
being a Facebook whore. Just for an example, I would only use that, obviously, if I was, you know, really uh, had a humorous back and forth banter with people. But that particular line is a excellent way that when you're talking with someone, you can find out what they do without introducing it as that boring, monotonous, default conversation subject matter. Very good points, John. Another key to properly communicating is you would like to be in the right setting when you communicate. You have to be in the right place to communicate because if you're somewhere completely out of your element, you're going to struggle communicating. One time, my friend took me to a professional lacrosse game that I knew nothing about, and I tried to start a conversation with the lady sitting next to me, and I had no background knowledge about lacrosse. I had no knowledge about the team that was playing, the players, we had nothing to speak about. It was uh, it was something that you need to you need to have a background in it. I'd say. Right. You know that's a good point. I'd actually like to kind of give an example of what you're talking about that comes from the whole world of uh, dating and relationships. Because I'd be willing to bet that a fair proportion of our listenership are single people. And I heard a person one time, I heard a, a guy one time complaining about how he would go out to various bars. Well, this is actually something that we've all heard a guy complain about, is that he would go out to various bars or nightclubs or parties or whatever, and he would have a really hard time meeting women at these kind of events. And bars, nightclubs, parties, not necessarily the very best place to be conducting your, uh, your dating prospecting activities. However... I know from personal experience, I've had very, my very best, very best results when I was doing my dating prospecting at events in this environment. When I was at some type of fashion show or I was at a concert that a lot of girls enjoyed the music of. Like I went to a concert one time of a really popular pop Latina artist and it was almost all girls at this particular concert because it's kind of like girly, fun, pop music. And there was just hardly any guys there. And there was a ton of girls that all had a huge amount of energy. So that's an example in a dating context of where your environment has a lot to do with the communication success that you are experiencing. Absolutely. So I'd like to talk about what is the best pickup line to begin an interesting conversation. And this is not necessarily a pickup line in a uh, dating context, although it certainly works well in that context. My favorite line for beginning a conversation with a new person is to say, pardon me, do you mind if I get your opinion on something? And then I will follow this up with an engaging, open-ended question. Like, I'll say something like, do you recommend any unique cocktails here? Or do you know this town well? Can you recommend a restaurant, coffee shop, etc.? A lot of times I'll ask people about a distinctive fashion item or a cell phone or some type of accessory or watch that they have. Or if we're at some type of event, I'll ask them their opinion of the event or the band or the entertainment. And I find that this line pardon me, do you mind if I get your opinion on something? Works well for a couple of reasons. First of all, people don't really say pardon me very much. It's kind of an old-fashioned phrase, so I think it gives you a little bit of style. And then you're beginning the conversation by saying that you value their opinion. So I recommend that as a pickup line to begin conversations with new people. So another communication technique... <laughs> Uh, that um, is very effective is eye contact. Eye contact is very underrated. There is about 70% more eye contact that you should be making. Uh, when, you, when you approach someone and you can make solid eye contact with them, it tells this person a couple of things. It tells them non-verbally that you're confident. Eye contact is one of those things that biologically engenders a lot of trust in between 
two people. Like take for example, if you watch any news show, you will notice that the news anchors are making constant, deep, un, un, almost unbreaking sometimes eye contact with the camera. And this is something that they do specifically to build trust. So an excellent tip that I've heard for eye contact is to make sure that whenever you meet a new people try to notice their eye contact within the first 30 seconds of meeting them. And this will force you to make extra eye contact with them, which will make a good impression. With the, uh, along the theme of meeting new people, I'd like to share another communication technique that is very, very important to building trust, building rapport, and building your likability. And it's actually something that's very simple, but it's something that most people are very, very bad at. And that is remembering and using people's names. And there's actually, I'm going to give you eight great reasons why you should remember names. First of all, it dramatically increases your likability. Think about it. Anytime that someone says your name, automatically you're going to like them just a little bit more, especially if they're using your name in a positive context. Second of all, people just love to hear their names. In any language, any person's favorite sound is always going to be their name. It also increases your ability to influence other people. Using someone's name around the time in a conversation where you're trying to influence them is going to communicate that you are an intelligent, friendly, genuine, socially valuable, and good person to know. Using people's names also drastically increases your social proof. If you're in a situation where you're meeting new people and you are saying multiple people's names, these new people that may not know you not that may not know you well or know the other people in the group well are going to assume because you know people's names that you already know everyone. So it automatically is going to, I'd say at least double or triple the social proof that you have in that particular group. It's also going to make you a whole lot more memorable because other people, even if they don't remember your name, they will remember that you had the ability to remember their name. And so that's going to make you more memorable further down the road. The final two areas that it's really going to help you with is your career and your dating life or your relationships that you have with other people. There are three problems that we have with remembering names. And if we can overcome these three problems, and they're all relatively simple problems actually, we're going to do a whole lot better with this area of communication. And it's really going to make a, a large impact down the road. So the first problem that people have remembering names is that a lot of times it's not that you actually forgot the name, but it's that you didn't actually hear it in the first place. Think about how many times you've had an introduction with a new person and they spat their names out so fast or they mumbled their names and you didn't hear them. It's a funny thing about humans. We're so eager to please or impress new people that a lot of times introductions are something we don't pay enough attention to. And as opposed to really listening to their name in the introduction, we'll be in such a hurry thinking about what we're trying to say next or thinking about how we're trying to impress this other person or thinking about what we want to try to get out of this other person that we won't actually pay enough attention to listen to their name. So make it a point next time you're introduced to someone and they say, hi, my name's Wim Bob, or whatever, make it a point to slow them down and say, sorry, what's your name? I didn't, I didn't hear it correctly. And then they'll say it a whole lot more slowly and they'll say, nice to meet you, Chris. And what this does is it sets you up as someone who is genuinely friendly and genuinely interested in getting to know them which is the kind of person that we all want more friends like. Correct? Absolutely. 
Okay, the second problem with remembering names is situational perceptual focus. So a lot of times when meeting a new person, we are only focusing a small amount of attention on the introduction itself. Again, like I said before, we are thinking about the conversation we are in, we're thinking about the environment, we're thinking about our laundry we have to do, we're worrying about this, we're worrying about that. So I challenge you that when you meet new people, put yourself for a very small time into a super focused state. I'd say for between 10 to 30 seconds, put yourself into a super focused state on the introduction and imagine that you're taking a mental photograph of their total person and focus 100% of your attention on your new acquaintance. There's a couple of things that you want to do to make sure this is powerful. First of all, you want to say their name multiple times over in your head. You want to mentally take account of what this person is wearing. You want to watch their body language, watch which direction their feet are pointed, which direction where their hands are, if their shoulders are slumped up or down, what their posture is. Take note of their t of their speech tonality and their pace. And then also take note of how often they are blinking or moving their eyes. Again, I know that sounds like a lot to take in, but I want you to try to go into a super focused mode for between 10 to 30 seconds after meeting a new person where you, where you observe their total person. And again, this is going to help you remember their name a whole lot. The third problem with remembering names is that there is no memory association that occurs. So long-term memory recall is based upon mental associations. And mental associations physiologically are the bridges that are built between your brain cells by your synapses. So think back to the last time you ran into an old friend or acquaintance. What was the first thing that you thought about when you ran into them, it was probably where you knew them from, whether it was school, work, a website, a party, another friend, etc. That was probably one of the very first things that came to mind. Also, you probably thought about what was that, what you probably had a, an emotion come into your mind, either an emotion of entertainment or fun or adventure or stress. And you'll find that this, a lot of times when you see a person that you knew from a long time ago, one of the very first things that comes into your mind is that particular emotion. So what you have to realize is that when you're meeting new people, it's very important to create a very strong mental association with them that will enable your long-term memory to recall things like what they looked like, what they dressed like, what your personality was like, and what they did for work and play. These are the mental associations you have with this person. These mental associations enable your long-term memory recall to remember things like what they look like, what they dress like, what their personality is like, and what they do for work and for play. Unfortunately, none of these associations actually help us to remember names. That's why sometimes you'll be at a, at a party and you'll run into someone and you know what their personality is like, you know what they do for work, you know where they hang out, you know who their friends are, you know who their mutual friends are. You actually have a surprising amount of information in your mind about this person, but you have no idea what their name is. So the solution to this is to create a association between their name and something that's going to make you remember them based upon their physical appearance. I'll say that one more time because it's very important to understanding this cool tool I'm going to teach you right now for remembering people's names. Again, the secret to remembering people's names is to make a mental association between their name and between their physical appearance.
So this is what we're going to use. It's called the AV Association Technique, and that stands for Audio-Visual Association Technique. And it's actually surprisingly simple. What you'll do is you will hear a person's name when they introduce themselves, and you will visualize something that sounds like that name on the most conspicuous feature of their face. So what you'll do is you'll be about to meet a new person, about to shake their hand, and you'll look at their face and pick out the most distinctive feature. It could be anything. It could be their forehead, their eyes, their nose, their dimples, their lips, their jawline, whatever feature stands out to you the most. Next, you're going to hear their name. And so what's very important is that after you hear their name, you visualize something that sounds like their name. For example, my co-host's name is Woody. And so when I hear the name Woody, I think about the character in the Toy Story movie. You, you decided to go G-rated with that one? I decided to go G-rated <laughs> with that one. <laughs> I, I, I appreciate that. I guess we have an explicit rating on this show. <laughs> I, I, I could have gone the other direction, but we'll, we'll go with Toy Story, okay? okay? So Woody right now is bald, which is a fairly distinctive character. So what I imagine is I imagine the little Woody doll from the movie Toy Story sitting on top of Woody's bald head. And that's a pretty distinctive image. So if I've just met Woody, the next time I see Woody, I'm going to visualize the Woody doll on top of his bald head, and it's going to give me that instant mental association. Now, this particular technique is a little bit, has some more complications to this and some more aspects to it. So we've actually set up a four-part video course on our website that teaches you it more in-depth, and then it gives you a free little training environment that you can practice it. So if, if this sounds like a cool little technique and you'd like to practice it so you can use it really effectively, please go and check out the LimitlessMindset.com website and there's a free video course that you can get on the homepage of that site. But again, one of the most important skills to communication is remembering and using people's names. So uh, those are the three problems with recalling names. Again, they are not remembering it in the first place your situational perceptual focus, and building a memory association between the name and their physical appearance. Wow, ton, ton of great information there. And I... Thanks, Woody. Speaking personally, when I first heard the uh, AV memory association technique with the name and the objects and facial, facial features, when I first heard that, I was like, I don't know about this. It's a little bit, it's a little bit out there. I think I'm doing alright on my own. And the next day, met someone, forgot their name instantly. And I was like, alright, let's give it a try. Let's let's do this. I still remember his name. His name was Jim. He had a slim Jim. Hanging from his dumb gauged ears. So <laughs> I still I still remember that. You know, so give it a try a couple times. See if it works for you. Because we want to be user friendly here. See if this works for you. Let us know. Get back to us. This episode is all about communication, and something that we've heard since we're little kids, practice makes perfect. Why is communication any differently? Why, do sh why don't we practice communicating with people? We have so many opportunities in our everyday lives that we don't take. We walk into Walmart, we know where we're going, we know what we need, someone says, hey, can I help you? Take them up on it, yeah. Bro, I'm looking for an MP3 player. You know where it is. Let him take you. That's a great opportunity to strike up a conversation with him, get to know him, practice all these techniques that we're talking about, so that when it actually does matter to you, when you are having that board meeting, when you are talking to some girl at a bar, that you can effectively use all the techniques that we're talking about because it's already secondhand nature to you. There's tons of opportunities. Cashiers, they have to talk to you. They don't have a choice. People on the internet, everyone's trying to talk to everybody. Take on a challenge. Push yourself. Because you're not going to get better at communicating 
just by listening to this. You actually have to make a conscious effort to become better. I'd like to speak to that point a little bit. A lot of times you will have a defining, what I like to call a defining communication moment ahead of you in a day. Like let's say you have a date or you have an interview or you have an important sales call that you're going to make. And for this particular communication session, you are, you need to be on the top of your game in the communication area. And I think we've all had the experience of when we had a real high value communication session like that coming up. We had that hot date, we had an interview, we had a job, we had a sales call coming up, we had a consulting call, whatever. We had, we, maybe we even had a confrontation or an argument that we needed to have with another person. And we went into that communication session and we ultimately ended up not doing very well in that communication session. One of the biggest reasons why this occurs is because we are not preempting our communication mindset earlier in the day. What this means is that if you have a job interview at three o'clock and you're at the grocery, if you have a job interview at say 3 p.m. in the afternoon, but you have to take a run to the grocery store at 10 a.m. in the morning, Every single, you know, every single person at that grocery store that you interact with, you should mentally pretend that this is the person that is interviewing you for the job that you have. And this will get you in the communication mindset that you need to be in. So again, if you need to be in an important communication mindset for a high pressure situation, a way that you can set yourself up for maximum success is to get yourself into that communication mindset earlier in the day with other people. Great point, thanks for talking about that, Woody. Next, I'd like to talk about one of my favorite aspects of communication, and this is applying emotional economics to the conversation that we have with other people. And this is a very important concept to grasp, so please pay careful attention. I'd like to introduce this concept by having you imagine that your relationships with other people are a bank account and you can make emotional withdrawals and emotional deposits to this bank and this is any bank account this could be your mother this could be a stranger that you meet at the bar this could be a policeman that pulls you over any relationship that you have you can make emotional deposits and emotional withdrawals into now if the balance on this bank account gets too low then the relationship is over or it becomes very unpleasant so let's give some examples of emotional deposits and emotional withdrawals within a conversational context. Okay, here's some emotional deposits. Affirming or agreeing with someone. Positive body language. Using their name. Demonstrating you are listening and understanding what they're saying. Giving an answer to their question. Asking a question about them. A strategic, well thought out compliment. Asking for their opinion. Telling a joke or encouraging your, their ideas. Okay, those are your emotional deposits. Your emotional withdrawals are disagreeing with them, negative body language, talking about yourself, asking a question about a completely unrelated topic, asking them a personal question when it's not relevant to the situation, flattery or a disingenuous compliment, advertising or trying to sell to them, and lying to them. So a brand new conversation is starting at fairly close to a zero balance most of the time. So you want to be careful that you're not making withdrawals in conversation, that you're not making a lot of withdrawals very close to the beginning of a new relationship with someone. Now, continuing with the metaphor of our relationships as a bank, we want to practice a little bit of what I'm going to call supply and demand arbitrage to make someone more interested in us. So here's what that means in practical 
language. What we're going to do in our conversations or in our interactions with other people is that we're going to make a emotional deposit into the relationship. And then we're going to make an emotional withdrawal from the relationship. And we're going to use humor as we do this if possible. And so what we're doing really is we're kind of giving them a emotional high that's going to be associated with you and then we're going to be taking that feeling away from them. And true to human form, we always want what's been taken away from us, right Woody? Absolutely. So here's an example of how this can be done. Let's say that I am making a pitch Let's say I'm pitching my marketing firm services to a client. I'm going to say, Chris, I'm really impressed with how you've been able to take something that you're passionate about and make a, live, make a living helping people. What was it that first inspired you to try this? And so then Chris is going to say, well, thanks a lot, Jonathan. Uh, thanks for saying that. What inspired me was, and then you're going to tell me something that that inspired you, Chris to do this. Now, this is what I'm going to say. Okay, Chris, you're going about your marketing all wrong. And you aren't going to meet your goals if you keep doing things that way. I have a marketing firm and I've produced some really spectacular results for clients in similar businesses to yours. I think I have some ideas that could help. So what did you just hear that I just did there, Woody? Uh, I saw that you um, you were positive. You made some emotional deposits. Uh, even though you made a few emotional withdrawals, your emotional deposits outweighed them. Right. And so what's important here is the sequencing of how I did it, that I made those emotional deposits and they were fairly significant emotional deposits. And then I made some real significant emotional withdrawals. But again, emotional withdrawals are essential to communication. But if you're not keeping your balance high enough in your emotional bank, you're not going to be able to make those withdrawals that are essential for you accomplishing your goals. Now, do keep in mind with the emotional supply and demand arbitrage, you don't want to go too overboard on this. You want to practice a little bit of common sense and you want to read them a little bit. If you're dealing with someone that's really sensitive, this particular technique can, can, can be destructive to relationships. If you're overdoing it and going through too much of an emotional roller coaster in your relationships is not going to be a good thing. But again, this is something that works in all of your relationships, from your mom to the stranger at the bar to the person that you're negotiating a deal with. Well said, Jonathan. I mean, I can think of a hundred examples of this happening. I think this is one of those things that we we think about subconsciously, but we don't we don't put it into words in a way that you've said it to uh, make it rational and to conceptualize it. I just Hi, this is Jonathan with Limitless Mindset, and I've got an interesting, introspective question for you. How would you rate your ability to remember the names of new people that you meet. If you're like most of us, you are probably not very good at it. I'm sure you've heard before how valuable it is to remember and use people's names. Remembering people's names will consistently make you more successful in business, social, and dating situations. I'd like to give you access to a four-part video course which will teach you in less than an hour a simple mental hack that master salespeople, politicians, and cult leaders use to remember limitless names instantaneously. The course has a $97 value, but as a listener of this podcast, you can access it for free today. To claim your free access to this video course, please visit LimitlessMindset.com. One thing I do when I speak to people, because 
you're having a conversation with someone and it's kind of dragging a little bit. It's not, maybe you haven't made the emotional deposits and withdrawals to really kind of, to really keep this person's attention as well as you should and it's dragging a little bit. So something you can do is let them talk about their favorite subject. Let them talk about themselves. Ask them to be interesting. Ask them what's unique about them. Ask them to tell themselves interesting about themselves. This is a great line that makes you seem charismatic as well as lets you know what they find interesting, which will continue the conversation. Yeah, Woody, that is one of my favorite, that's one of my favorite lines to use to say, so tell me something interesting about yourself. And this is just great because everyone has those neat little things about themselves, whether it's a life experience, whether it's a skill, whether it's some relationship that they have, whether it's something cool that they own. Everyone has one of those cool, neat little things that about themselves that they actually don't get to tell people about nearly as much as they'd like. So when you give them that opportunity, they are just going to jump all over it and that's going to make you stand out as a really genuine person. So let's practice it. Woody, tell me something interesting about yourself. I'm awesome. Okay. That, no, really. <laughs> tell me something interesting about yourself that's distinctive. Uh, something distinct about myself is that I enjoy... Uh, I enjoy trying different types of wine. I enjoy... I don't know, man. Okay, that's actually a great one. Because wine is something that people are really <coughs> passionate about. So let's say that me and Woody were you know, having a boring, generic conversation. Woody just told us that he's you know, passionate about wine. And so that's a great way to go on to a conversation topic, of, you know, to talking about wine, which is going to make for a good conversation. So, okay... You ask me now. John, tell me something interesting about yourself. Okay, something interesting about me is that I invented the most clever cocktail toast ever. Well, tell me about this clever cocktail toast of yours, John. Well, according to Google, it's the most clever cocktail toast, really, in any language, in the history of uh, the universe, according to Google. I've, Google's never lied to me before, so tell me this cocktail toast, John. You know, I'm going to let our, our listeners go ahead and just look it up themselves, you know. It won't be hard to find it. It's not going to be hard at all to find it. So again, when you ask someone to share something interesting about themselves, it gives them a it's, a, it's really a huge emotional deposit that you're making, and it takes the conversation down an awesome, interesting, exciting, unexpected new direction. It says, I value what you value enough to let you talk about it for X amount of time. Exactly. Okay, now I would like to talk about what I call magnanimous conversation stealing. Now, this has probably happened to you before. You're discussing something and someone else jumps in and completely just kind of takes over the topic that you are discussing and goes on to something else. And this is called conversation stealing. And it's annoying. That doesn't if, sound like anything you would ever do, John. <laughs> <laughs> However, there is a correct way to do this so that you don't come across as annoying and that you can steal conversations and make them about whatever you want. Because let's face it, sometimes we find ourselves in conversations about boring topics that we have nothing to add to, and we need to change those topics to something that we can add some value for and uh, you know make a good impression on people. So here is the correct way to steal a conversation. What you want to do is you want to make an emotional deposit before the steal and then make an emotional deposit at the end of the steal. That way you're keeping the attention high throughout and you don't look like a jerk for stealing the conversation. For example, let's say Chris is talking about his kid. And so Chris says, well, my kid is just doing awesome at football practice. So I'm going to say, that's great. 
I definitely know where he gets his work ethic from. My kid just got his black belt in karate and is actually traveling to Korea for a student exchange program. Since you've traveled abroad extensively in Asia, can you give me some suggestions to give to him? So as you can see here, I made an emotional deposit first by complimenting Chris and his kid. Then I stole the conversation and I linked it back to him and made another emotional deposit, while at the same time making the point that I wanted to make. You also made up a fictional child, which I think is the bigger issue here. <laughs> <laughs> but he has a black belt. He has a black belt. He sounds awesome. Yeah, he's got his stuff together. Well, 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 well parented, John. Compliments are a very powerful tool when used correctly, but at the same time, no one likes when someone is just pandering to them and is trying to get on their good side. You can make emotional deposits, but if it's really dreadfully apparent that you're trying to make emotional deposits just for the sake of making emotional deposits, it could have the exact opposite effect. So, compliment strategically. Couple examples here. If a person is in good shape, instead of being, instead of saying, wow, you're in really good shape, compliment them on their work ethic and commit and commitment to taking care of themselves. Say for instance someone is successful in their career or business, compliment them on their intelligent creativity and insights to capitalize on opportunity. So that way you're complimenting something that they weren't born with, something that they've been working really hard at, and people will value that a lot more. If someone's good looking, don't go up to them and tell them good, that they're good looking, they already know that. But if someone's a hard worker... You're good looking, Woody. Thank you. appreciate that, John. If someone is a hard worker and has dedicated themselves to something, and you can see that and compliment the root of what it is, it'll come off as a lot more genuine. And that just goes back to making emotional deposits in a conversation. Good point. Okay, now I'd like to talk about what is the one thing that great communicators rarely, if ever, say. And when I tell you this, you'll think of times that you've heard people that didn't come across as very suave people saying this. Here's what it is. Great communicators rarely, if ever, say, I'm an intelligent person. And here's why. There are nine different forms of intelligence. The first is naturalist intelligence, which means people that are intelligent as it relates to nature and uh, biology, those sort of things. There's musical intelligence. There is logical mathematical intelligence. There is existential intelligence, which is like philosophical type intelligence. There is interpersonal intelligence, which is the ability to communicate and relate to other people. There is body kinesthetic intelligence. That's people that are like personal trainers or physicians that understand the nature of the body very well. There's linguistic intelligence, which is people that have good vocabularies and are good at learning languages. There is intrapersonal intelligence, which is being very introspective and understanding your internal motivations very well. And then there's spatial intelligence, which is people like interior designers and decorators and engineers that do things that are making decisions very well based upon the spaces that they have. So every person on this planet is intelligent in at least one of these nine forms. So making a blanket generalization of saying that you're intelligent is like saying, I breathe oxygen and eat food. So by saying that you're intelligent, you are actually revealing yourself as someone that is lacking in interpersonal intelligence, linguistic intelligence, and intrapersonal intelligence. Again, someone that's lacking in that introspective ability on their personality. This is similar to when you hear someone say, and again, within the, uh, the, the cultural verbatim of our time, you hear people say a lot that they have swag, which is short for swagger. And so swagger 
the definition of that is that you walk and portray yourself in a very confident manner, in a manner that is exuding and overflowing in confidence, in, in fact. So a person that is genuinely confident and genuinely has swagger won't be caught dead calling themselves saying that they have swagger because it is so painfully obvious by the way that they speak and the way that they walk and the way that they dress and the way that they carry themselves. This would be like if a person came and claimed that they are humble. Again, biggest joke you can imagine. If someone is humble, it's obvious from the way that they treat other people and the way that they speak. So again, you would never call yourself humble. You would never claim that you had swagger because doing so would intrinsically demonstrate that you don't. So again, great communicators are never going to be told, are never going to brag that they are intelligent, smart people. And in fact, if you think back to times that people have claimed to be intelligent, a lot of times they'll claim to be intelligent directly before they tell a story about something very stupid or unintelligent that they did. So the only time that you're going to want to claim that you're intelligent is when it's painfully obvious by your accomplishments or by what other people directly directly the same time around you are talking about how intelligent you are. That's the only time that I would ever claim to be intelligent. Very good point. I, for one, don't tell people that I have swag. I let my tattoos speak for themselves. <laughs> I have my intelligent tattoo, my swag tattoo, and my humble tattoo. <laughs> In bold. In bold. Absolutely. On the neck. On the neck. Yeah. Uh, I'm just kidding. Woody, for those of you who can't see Woody, he has no tattoos no, at all. No tattoos. That's swagger. No tattoos. That's swagger. So, getting back to our life hacks about communication, my final life hack is that I think if there's an underlying theme within all of them, it's that you want to be in control of the situation. You want to be guiding this. You want to guide the conversation. You want to guide the communication. You want to be in a good forum for it. So really that's, that's really important while communicating. So you want to keep that in mind. When I worked as a leasing agent, people would come into me, come into my office, and that was a place where I was completely in control. I knew everything about the building. I knew everything that they were probably going to ask me. I already had the answers for them. I already had the information for them. I was completely in control, which made it really easy to communicate with them. So, in your own life, it's important to be in control of situations. Okay, Woody, you have a story for us about a Texas girl, and, or about a, a girl in a Texas accent. I do, I do. So, thought, uh, speaking of communication, i tell you guys a little story about communication. My first semester of college at the dorms, you all probably know, you've been there. At the beginning, it's just a frenzy, free-for-all, meeting everyone you can, trying to figure out, you know, who everyone is. So there I was, a couple weeks in, I got a text from uh, a girl who was in my phone, and I didn't remember this girl. I didn't, uh, it, her name came up on my phone, and I was like, oh, okay, and I had a real It was, it was what we would like to call a rando a rando. Yeah, but she was already in my phone, so I'd obviously already met this girl, but I didn't remember her for one reason or another. And so she said, hey, I'm having people over. You should stop by. And I figured, can't hurt. I'll stop by this girl's room. Let's let's go say hi. So I went over there, kind of vaguely remembered her a little bit. She was a quiet, kind of mousy girl. And I was like, okay. So we, we started talking a little bit. And uh, about a minute or so into the conversation, she was like, oh... So tell me more about Texas, where you're from. I'm not from Texas. Sometimes I like to turn on a Texas accent. So obviously when I was communicating with her when I first met her, I was Woody from Texas. And obviously I was convincing. So there you go. Or maybe you have the uh, the multiple personality disorder. That might be what's going that, on. That could also be it. I just black out and become, become a Texan. 
That would be exciting. I would actually like to interview someone with multiple personality disassociative disorder. That that, that could that could make for an interesting uh, episode. So. Only if we get to interview all of their personalities. Yeah, That's... yeah. That would be that would actually that would be very easy to fake though. You could just bring in multiple people. And... <laughs> that that would be. That would be. <laughs> Especially in a podcast format, we'll have to live stream that for you guys so that you know we're uh, we're doing it for real. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, cash money heroes, private jets, polish. To connect with the Limitless Mindset community, along with a chance to win free neurotropic brain supplements and other awesome prizes, please give our Facebook page a like at facebook.com backslash Limitless Mindset. If you found this podcast to be informative and entertaining, please give us a five-star review in iTunes or whatever podcast directory you are listening and write us a review letting us know what you think of the show. And remember that the best compliment we can ever hope to receive is you sharing the show with a friend. In the money-making technique... I'm going to describe a method for using social media to get companies to save you money or to do whatever you want. And I'd like to give you start by giving an excellent example of how I did this one time. A couple of years back, I was building an internet company and we were having a lot of problems with our servers operating properly. Anyone that's ever worked in IT or ever built an internet company is familiar with this. Your servers just aren't rendering your web pages correctly. They're not giving the correct version of the site. The functionality is not working correct for your users. And you're spending hours and hours and hours trying to fix things in the server. Or you're spending hours and hours and hours trying to get the customer service department of the company that's managing your servers to fix your problems for you. And you're just not going anywhere. And it's costing you a lot of time and it's costing you money from the business that you could be conducting if you weren't spending your time trying to fix your servers. Here's how I saved a lot of money and solved this problem. Was I had a major website that was hosted with actually one of the very biggest hosting companies on the internet. I'm not going to say who it is because I don't want to give them a bad name because they actually did a really excellent job of helping me through this problem. But what I did was I went and did a simple Google search and I found out who the CEO of this uh, hosting company was. Took me about another two Google searches and I was on the blog of the CEO of this company. And I found a blog article he had written about the service that he provided his customers and about some of his philosophy behind doing business. And so I went to the in, I went into the comments area of that blog and I just shared my bad experience and I shared my stress that I was having with his hosting service at that time. And at the time, the problem that I was having, the hosting company was going to charge me another several hundred dollars to fix that problem. And I had I was already paying several hundred dollars a year for the servers, and this had already taken about 10 hours of my time, and so I really did not want to pay another couple hundred dollars towards getting this issue fixed. So I posted this short blog comment telling my problems and my issues, and again, it was very professionally written. I wasn't cussing or swearing or being mean to anyone. I was just telling my experience and how I felt about it. And within, I believe, two hours of posting that comment, one of the high-level managers of the company had personally called me, and they made it a point to make their very best tech support team members make my issue a priority, and they did it completely free of charge. Now, before I had tried this, I had negotiated with a bunch of the different customer service managers and the tech support people trying to get this issue fixed, and they just weren't budging. But as soon as I went to the guy on top through the social media channel, this were 
I got results. And so this will work on Twitter and this will also work on YouTube really well. Is if someone, if you're dealing with customer service, if you're dealing with a mid-level manager in an organization and they are not refunding what you want or they are not providing you the service that you need, go to this public social media channel and air your grievance there because a, a most executives and CEOs and owners of companies will move heaven and earth to avert a PR disaster or avert a public bad mark on their company's name. So thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Limitless Mindset Podcast. Please Interact and check out the community at LimitlessMindset.com. Legal Notices. If you or someone you know developed or created a concept, piece of content, or idea shared on this show, please email us at info at LimitlessMindset.com so we can mention them in the show notes or provide a backlink. We want to give credit where credit is due. As a listener to the Limitless Mindset Podcast, we hope you have and practice common sense. However, since some of the content covered in this show deals with subjects of a health, legal, or business nature, this show is for entertainment purposes. If you need recommendations of doctors, nutritionists, or attorneys to consult before making decisions that may have health or legal repercussions, please email us at info at limitlessmindset.com. Okay, so Woody would like to tell you about something that he heard about that he's thinking about trying. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not thinking about trying it. I mean, it's just it's just something I heard about. Uh, is it, oh, I was hoping you were going to say, I'm not thinking about it. This is a do or do not do type proposition. This no, is- no. It's not, I mean, it's, it's, it's called the paratrooper, where you, you fly into another city and you have to pick up a girl. You don't get a hotel room. You just have to pick up a girl. And go back to her place. I mean, I don't. I wouldn't want to do it. That's. I feel like I don't have like I like if if I'm like if I approach a girl and I get turned down, I'm like ah right, okay whatever. But feel like I don't have enough uh, persistence to be like no, you will take me home tonight. I will not sleep on the streets. <laughs> now, Woody. Okay, so let's say we were gonna do the paratrooper. This is what I'd be kind of concerned about. I'd be kind of concerned that I might have a possibility of wimping out. So what's the, if we, let's say we're going to do the paratrooper, what's the best way that we can, metaphorically speaking, burn the ships behind us when we do the paratrooper? Um, I guess if we only take like 40 bucks cash with us. Yeah. Just fly in. Well, how would we get home? Yeah, buy a round trip ticket. For like three days later, and just take like fifty bucks with you. I guess that'd be the best way to like burn all your bridges and not take a cell <laughs> no, phone. No, no, not not burn, the, not burn the bridges. Burn the uh, burn the ships. Burn the ships. Well, I think the cell phone's essential because you might have you might get her number earlier in the evening mm-hmm. and then reconnect. <laughs> so I think, but it would have to be a city where you knew absolutely nobody. Because then you'd have the temptation of going and staying at your buddy's place. Yeah. You would have to have it absolutely certain in your mind that you'd be sleeping on the streets for the next three days unless you accomplished your goal. <laughs> and I'll be honest, it's a little bit of a numbers game. So you might actually end up, you know, the first night or two, there's a possibility that you might sleep on the streets. And it'd probably get more difficult as time goes on, seeing as how you're technically a homeless person. You know, sleeping on the streets, I'm guessing, isn't uh, a great technique for picking up chicks. Yeah, I don't know where I'd hang my suit it's if not, I was sleeping. It's, it's not conducive to a good picking up chick environment. I would, I would, I would just imagine that the uh, the standards would kind of drop as uh, as time went on. Like <laughs> oh, the, fir- the first night you went out, you'd be like, okay, you know, I can I can do this, I can pull this off. But by the uh, by the third night, if you hadn't made things happen. You'd be uh, 
the uh, you know the, the, the beer goggles would be on and you'd be dead sober. Okay, how about this? You have to do it in a place that's really cold. So that there's the, the freezing to death aspect as well <laughs> if you cannot get a place to stay. I feel like that's, you know, that's the essential part of the paratrooper. Great. Okay, I'm going to go on orbits here and uh, check on tickets to uh, Moscow. That's, no. It's got to be someplace close because I'm not going to spend $800 to do this. You know, a round trip ticket for like a buck fifty. Well, if we're going to do it, let's... let's... Oh, so I mean, big. We, we could get round trip tickets to Chicago for 250 bucks. What about Anchorage? I'm thinking Anchorage would be colder. Again, let, let's burn the ships behind us here. We might actually die. Do you know how many women are in Anchorage? There, uh, yeah. Not, at I, least two. I've never, I've not heard of a lot of good things about Alaskan women. Sorry to our Alaskan female demographic. You but. just offended Eskimos. <laughs> Um, I think their actually politically correct name is Inuit. Inuit? Yeah. Sorry, yeah, you just offended Inuits and Eskimos. And Eskimos. Alright, so that's, uh, that's paratrooping. If any of you guys, uh, go and try it. Hit us up, let us know the results that you get from it. Good luck.